Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. What is, uh, this is, I guess, the final installment of our series, Eternal Living Now. We've been in for, since the beginning of the year. And uh, we started, and we might as well sort of end where we started with our vision statement, which is to be a church where every person has an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ that leads to eternal living now, so that God's will and ways are carried out in our everyday lives, our community, and our world. So when we're living an eternal kind of life, we're doing God's will, we're doing what he wants in our life. That's what that's about, to know Jesus is to have eternal life. To follow him and obey him means that your life gains the substance of the eternal. That's what we're arguing. We're not waiting to get to heaven as if salvation were just some sort of deal that God makes with people so they they don't have to go to a bad place. And as long as you get to the end, it doesn't matter who you are now or what you do, as long as you get to the end and you have that, whatever that ticket is, that you're going to be okay. So that really, the only time eternal life really matters is when you're dead. That it doesn't matter any other time. And Jesus, came, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. I'm not waiting until you're dead for anything significant to happen to anybody. I'm coming to give you abundant life now. It's a real cartoonish, a lot of people have it, so I, I mean, it's, it's a reality that we have a sort of a cartoonish view of the end. Heaven is just this sort of pleasure factory. Hell is just a, you know, a place of torment, like a torture chamber. And we've already decided which one we want to go to, even though we don't want anything to do with God at all. As if somehow you could get to heaven and not want anything to do with God at all. And we're arguing that's not going to happen. That's, that's not how it works. You've got to factor God into this. And as we close this series, I want to make sure you understand what that means. So we come to John. We're going to start. We've read from 1 John, but same author, but we're a different book. John chapter 14, we're going to go to first. And I want you to read a text that you're very familiar with. He says uh, in John 14, remember, Jesus is about, he's about to leave. So this is sort of that farewell discourse. And Jesus says a very familiar text. We read it at funerals all the time. Do not let your hearts be distressed or troubled. You believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. There are many dwelling places in my father's house. Otherwise, I would have told you. Because I am going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you may be too. And then Jesus makes this statement at the end of that. You know the way where I'm going. Just want to stop there for a second so that you can get... uh, sort of a little bit of a perspective if you're in the room and you're one of the disciples and you're hearing this. 
You're, you're sort of picturing, Jesus says, I'm going. Now, they may not fully grasp all that that means, but the going is the death and resurrection of Christ, those two events. That's what Jesus means by go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So just imagine somehow that in the heavens there's these rooms. Okay, and Jesus is saying that we're going to go there. One of these, he's going ahead of us. But the going is the death and the resurrection. And then in the Father's house are many rooms. That's what dwelling places are. They're just rooms. And he's going to come back one day and he's going to get us. So the disciples are thinking, wow, there's going to be a long time where we don't see him and he's not around us. And so I guess we got to wait till we get there. And Jesus makes this comment that they, they ought to know where it is and how to get there. And so uh, Thomas, Thomas says, this is great, this is great. Lord, essentially, Lord, we have no idea where you're going, and we have no idea, so, so there's no way we can know how to get there. We don't know where you're going. So here's what Thomas wants. Thomas wants an address so that he can plug it into his GPS system. That's what Thomas wants, which I totally get and you get. Uh, if you'll tell me the address, then I can figure out how to get there. You know, I'll figure out the route. So he's thinking like most of us think when, whenever the conversation about heaven comes up, we're thinking of a route. We want to know the address. We want to know how, uh, what the route to take. So we're thinking geographically. We think in terms of a destination. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way. You're looking for a way, and I'm telling you that I am the way. And I am the truth and the life. No one is coming to the Father but through me. Now, I want you to notice something that Jesus does, because he sort of, all of a sudden here, changes the dynamic, even though we've all think it's certainly the Father's house is heaven. And there are, Jesus is sort of, assuring the disciples that there's plenty of room for anyone who knows him. And I want you to think of the relational language that's here. No one's coming to the Father. We're not talking about heaven. We're coming to the Father. This is, I just want you to see just this family orientation. We're going to the Father, and no one gets to the Father but through me. So Jesus now couches this whole eternal place with rooms in it, totally in terms of relationship. In fact, if you read closely these words, there are many dwelling places in my father's house. I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to make a place for you. Look what he says. I will come again so that you can be with me. That's what heaven is. It's a relationship. It's a relationship we already have. I just want you with me when we're there. So it doesn't matter where we are. That where I am, there you may be too. That's what Jesus is interested in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what heaven is about. That's what heaven is about. A relationship with God. No one's going to heaven and factoring God out of that equation. But that's how we think. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus does here. Because Jesus has made this absolutely relational in this text. 
because I am the way. What he means by I am the way, because that's the primary uh, concept here, is that I am reality and I am life itself. I will show you what is real, Jesus says. If you follow me, you'll see what's real. And if you know me, I'm not telling you that I'm going to blaze a trail and you get to follow it. No, 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 no. I am the very trail. If you're in relationship with me, you're in relationship with the Father. You have a room. That's what he's saying. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, he's not finished. Because he knows that they still don't understand this. And you can read the middle piece, which is fantastic, because Philip's about to speak up now. Uh, and then something else happens. But I want you to see a little bit later in John chapter 14, because Jesus isn't finished explaining this relationship. Just a little bit further on, he says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Again, keeping this relational. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. This is what it means to end up in heaven. It's to be loved by the father. And I will love him too, and I will disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself. Now, here's what Jesus is saying now. He has shifted a little bit from when he comes back at the end of time to what's going to happen after he rises from the dead. Because Jesus is about to die, and he is about to rise from the dead. What's he going to do after he rises from the dead, and how are we going to relate to him? So for the disciples and for us, there's this gap in here. We don't know how to relate to God in, the, in between it. Otherwise, salvation is just, hey, I came to do this for you. I'll see you when you get to your room. Go to your room. That's not what he's saying. Something else is going on here. Jesus is saying, I'm going to rise from the dead. And in 1421, he's going to tell you, that I'm going to show myself to you. In other words, I'm not waiting. The, the next time you see me won't be heaven. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And then Judas asks a question. Not Judas Iscariot, another Judas. And it's about that self-disclosure. And Jesus doesn't really answer it the way you would want, but he tells you what he wants you to know. If anyone loves me, and he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, look at this, we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now, this is a really important word right here because it is the same word used in verse 2 for dwelling places. And here's what basically John 14 is saying. There are dwelling places in heaven, yes, for you. But after I rise from the dead, God says in this chapter, I will not leave you as orphans. You won't be without a family. You're already going to have a family. Don't imagine that it's not until you get to heaven that you have family and family life and eternal reality. No, Jesus is saying right here, I will come dwell inside of you, and so will my Father. But this is the beautiful thing. No one will dwell in heaven who doesn't already have the Father and the Son dwelling in him. Do you see that? That's really important. Okay? He's already dwelling in you. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, 
I can't wait till heaven to be with you. We're going to come and make our abode with you. Okay, so if heaven is about being in relationship with God and being with him, then, I'm, then heaven in some sense has already been inaugurated inside of me because God already dwells in me. That's what he's saying. So when I get to heaven, I'm already, I'm already in the family. I've already been, I've already been connected to God. That's what he's saying. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling of God is among men. That's the thing that captures the writer of the apocalyptic. One of these days, God will be among his people in that reality. But according to John 14, he's already inside of your heart now. Martin Luther said that we are sort of, we are subspecies of eternity. In other words, as believers, we live from the perspective of eternity. We have to, because we have eternity in us. We have God already dwelling in us. The life, the way, and the truth are already inside of us. No one has to give us directions to heaven. And we certainly don't have to wait to experience God to get to heaven. We don't have to wait there till then. It was already happening in a relationship with Jesus Christ. No one will get to heaven and say, all right, somebody introduce me to God, because this is a really cool place. That's never going to happen. Can somebody just make sure I get the key to my room? I don't know where I'm at yet, but I can't wait to see it. That's not how it works. He's already inside of your heart. And that means, listen, what that means is, Your relationship with God, a relationship with God is such that eternity is already dictating your life. You're not waiting till you get to heaven to be spiritual. You're not waiting till you get to heaven to be close to God. You're not waiting to get to heaven to now finally start doing the things he wants you to do. They're already supposed to be happening because you live under the perspective of that eternal reality now. Well, that has profound impact on our life. And as we have been in 1 John, 1 John, I think, is going to give us two overarching ways. I would call them just general overarching ways that this eternal perspective is already changing us and making our life have the substance of eternity already. And I want to show you those two ways. If God is already living in your heart. The first thing I would say to you is we are acutely aware as believers, as people who have God living in them, we are acutely aware of what lacks eternal substance in this life. We should be acutely aware and we should be becoming more aware of it all the time. And that means we should be getting healthier and more sane all the time in a world that is doing just the opposite. You should not be freaking out more you should be freaking out less. You should not be panicking more. You should be panicking less. Because you live from the perspective of eternity, not this reality. So, because we can see what lacks eternal substance, we know what's lasting. 
we know what really matters. We can see right through this world. Literally, we can see right through it because it's not made of anything of substance. Look at 1 John. Look what he writes. Do not love the world. See, we know. We know not to love it. We know not to love the things in it. Because first of all, uh, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is in him. We have a different affection. We got a different relationship. We got a different connection. We, we, we've got an eternal reality driving our worlds. All that is in the world, John says, the desire of the flesh, lust of the eyes, arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father. That's not what's from God. You say, what's eternal and what is it? Well, that stuff isn't. Not eternal. It's of the world. And we can make that distinction because he lives in us. And the world, look what he says, and the world is passing away with all its desires. But this is probably the best verse to sum up what we got. The world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. Let me tell you what he is essentially saying here. You can tell the... You know what is different. Every time I think about what is eternal and what's significant, we've talked about this in many different contexts, but there's a commercial that comes to my mind that I think is probably the best visual I've ever seen to explain how we determine what is lasting and what isn't, what is ultimate and what isn't, what's real and what isn't. And this gal is on the beach with her dog, and it's sort of a pretty scene, and they're alone out there. And uh, this is the last 15 seconds of the commercial. Watch this. You ready? Go get it. It's getting harder to tell what's real. Neutro is real, natural dog food. See the difference at Neutro.com. It's a dog food commercial. And the line is, it's getting harder and harder to tell what's real. And I love the way reality is presented as it's just made of paper. It's, it's not really real. It looks beautiful. It looks real. But it's not ultimately lasting. And John says, people who live from an eternal perspective, they know what is real and what isn't. So you'll be tempted on a regular basis by the things that aren't real. The world will have that pretty effect on us all the time. And you'll, and you'll wish to your dying day, you'll probably wish you were rich. And you'll be anxious about it for the rest of your life that you're not. And that, by the way, that anxiety doesn't go away even if you are rich. And you'll wish there was better sex every now and then. Maybe more than that. And you, won't, you, you, you can't be satisfied. And you'll wish you had more stuff. You wish that with all these storage sheds going up everywhere, you had 10 or 12 of those to put more crap in. You'll always wish that. And, you, and then you'll wish you were better known by people. That your name was something big, that you're, you're a big shot. People need you. 
people look to you, you'll want that. Those temptations will constantly flood you, and they'll look every bit as beautiful as, as a beach scene. And they'll be as enticing, and you'll be tempted by it. That's not going to stop. But then all of a sudden, for those who live from an eternal perspective, something else floods in and says, that's baloney, that's not real. And you're able to grab a stick and just rip the paper off the wall that says, that is not going to satisfy me ultimately. Hopefully, most of us have lived long enough in here. There's a group of our, our teens in here. they got a long way to go. But you're going to eventually live long enough where you go, it's, all, it's, it's baloney. What the world promises you, it just isn't. But every one of us, or what, what do you think makes us nuts on a weekly basis? What we don't have, what we wish we had, who we're not that we wish we were. And you just, they're looking at all the adults going, why are they panicking all the time? Because of those things. But, but people who live from an eternal perspective, they know money's not everything. And they do not live for it. Pleasure is not everything, and they don't live for it. Listen, the people who do that, they need to use the world to do it. The problem with it is, it's passing away. And that's what John means by this, and the world is passing away, and the tense is, it's already passing away. It's not going to pass away someday, and it's great till then. It's already made of paper, and it's already disintegrating. That's literally what he means. It's already disintegrating. And all those desires that you have, they're going right along with it. They do not make up eternal existence. They are not what God intends for his people. But notice this. The person who does the will of God, what God wants done, not what the world is clamoring for me to do, what God wants done, when that person is doing what God wants him to do, that remains forever, and it's the same tense. It's already remaining forever. It's already caught up as one of the elements in God's eternal reality. When I do what God wants me to do in this world, I am already living forever. I've already, it's already begun. That's the difference. See, eternity isn't we don't wait till eternity for this. It's already happening. And one of, the, one of the clearest things that begins to happen to a believer is slowly but surely he starts to peel away the paper of the lies that the world is constantly telling. And unfortunately, we're so flooded with them, sometimes we can't really tell what's real and what isn't. John is saying, eternity is in flight. You're either with it or you're not. And I think this is a great moment to say this to you. Whenever you're thinking of spiritual thought and spiritual things, ask yourself, what is the alternative? So you say, I'm not really interested in, in living eternal now. Well, that's great. But guess what your alternative is? Disintegration. Have at it. That's the alternative. It doesn't last. It'll make, it'll make you crazy. Because it'll tell you it's everything and it's nothing. And it never fails. 
But those who are doing the will of God, they're, they're ultimate and they're lasting. There's another thing that I think, final thing, that I think happens to people who live from an eternal perspective. They, they can detect the baloney in the world. But the second thing they're able to acutely be, be acutely aware of who they are in this world, their identity and their destiny, and it, it's transforming. When you understand your identity and your destiny, you will already begin changing, and you haven't even gotten there yet. This is what John means in 1 John 3. Because he says this, see, this has been a big word for him. Behold, behold what sort of love the Father has given to us. John is actually having one of the experiences we talked about, we have with God. Because he's actually, the way this word is, is behold. Can you see the love that the Father has? Are you aware of the love that the Father has lavished on you? That we should be called his children? We're a child of God. And John says, don't... Don't think that that's just the title. Oh, no. You actually are his child. You are his child. Not in name only. You are actually his child. What sort of love has the Father? It's a love from a Father lavished upon us. And John uses this little phrase right here, what sort of. Maybe if you might have a version of your Bible that says, what manner of love, that's how I memorized it when I was a kid. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. This word right here, or what manner is it, is a very interesting word. It's only used a couple of times. I think John only uses it here. And it's a word in classical Greek. It used to, it, it had the idea of... Uh, What's foreign? Uh, uh, what's from another country, from another race or another tribe? So it had this idea of uh, from out of this world. It's the way the idiom kind of came to mean. So it's a word that's just packed with meaning, but it's hard to pin down because it really just has the idea of out of this world kind of love. It's the kind of love you can't find anywhere. You'll never find it. You certainly won't earn it. It's lavished upon you. Somebody's got to, it's got to be a miracle that this thing comes out of from another planet, from another dimension, kind of love that breaks in to make you one of God's children. That's what John is saying. And he's just sitting there going, overwhelmed. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what he's saying. That fundamental reality then ultimately gives us a family consciousness. It defines our allegiance shapes our personality and our behavior. This is how the human race, Hillside, is healed. How does the soul get healed? It's finally adequately loved. It's finally adequately loved. And not for anything it did. Didn't earn it. And when a soul feels that, I mean, what kind of family experience is that? Yes, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by him. I can't explain it. It's an out-of-this-world kind of love. It has changed my identity. That's who I am. And John goes on to say, that's my identity. 
Now watch what he says about that identity. Dear friends, we are God's children. Yes. We are God's children. Look at that word right there. Now. Not when we get to heaven. Right now we are in the family. Right now we are his. Right now we are experiencing that love. And that's, that's changing the way we see ourselves. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. This is a great little thought right here. We do not know the full implications of what it means to be that loved. We don't. In fact, in this verse before, where John says, uh, oh no, it's here, where he says, uh, actually it's verse 1. Indeed, we are his children. For this, world, for this reason, the world does not know us and it doesn't know him. And I love this because it's first thing it tells you what's something that the world doesn't know. The world doesn't know how in the world we live with an eternal perspective. It doesn't understand our new identity. It cannot figure that out because it's from another world, from another dimension. But then he goes on to say, yeah, there's something we don't know either. We don't even realize how loved we are. We don't realize how loved we are. One of these days it will be revealed. The only thing we know about our destiny is we know our identity. But that identity gives us a destiny. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him in his full glory. We will see him. We see, John says, behold the, what manner of love the Father has bestowed. We can see that love but we can't see all of its implications. One of these days when we see Jesus really, everything that he is, then we'll understand all of it and we'll be transformed by it radically. There's the connection between the now and the later. And then John says this, and maybe this is the best summary verse of the entire series. Everyone who has this hope this is our future. Everyone who has that hope focused on him, it's a person, purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So you're going to really hate heaven if you don't like being pure like he is. See, John doesn't want you to get the idea that heaven's like going on a vacation. You get to a great hotel and you go, look at the chandeliers. How beautiful. And you're like, so glad to be here. It's been such a really hard life. No, 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 no. And you're like, okay, go grab the pamphlets. Let's figure out where we are and where we're going tonight. That's vacation. Heaven's not vacation. You know what heaven's going to be like? Heaven's going to be like walking in the door and going, I'm finally home. I'm a child. I'm a child of God. I'm in this family. This is where I belong. I'm, I love what he loves. I adore what he adores. I hate what he hates. I've given up my dreams for this and for him. You're going to feel right at home because of your identity and that destiny. Listen, here's the point of what John is saying. We're not even there yet. Just the thought of it 
is already transforming us. Do you see that? He who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. I haven't even seen him yet. I don't even know all that's in store for me as a child, but I'm already becoming what he wants me to become. And I haven't even seen it all yet. That's why eternity is still and, and already affecting you if you live from an eternal perspective. It's already impacting and affecting you. So Dallas Willard says this, our future is just an extension of the faith by which we live now and the life in which we now participate. There's no disconnect. Now, as we come to the end here, I, I'm thinking to myself, The stakes are so high on this conversation, this thing we've been talking about, eternal life. And the alternative is so bleak. And the alternative is so bleak that I thought I wanted to take a minute and just talk to one group of people in this room as we close. Just one group. And I'm talking about the person sitting in here today who's about this close to giving their life to Christ because you've heard about eternal life, and you're sitting there and you're wondering, and I, and I totally understand, what in the world does that look like and how is it done? What, what would I need to do? Because I think there's two points at which you just go, all right, somebody explain to me. If I wanted to become part of that eternal living now and understand what Jesus is as the way, truth, and the life, how in the world would I do that right now where I'm sitting? Well, it's not a formula, and I'm certainly not here to offer you heaven. I want you to know who God is, and I want you, I want you to understand who he is and what he wants. He wants to be in relationship with you. So, uh, this is what I would say to you, but you have to be thinking and feeling what I'm describing right now. So, I'm kind of, I'm going to speak for you for a minute. I'm going to speak for you if that's you. And I'm only talking to one group, and that's the person who's never, ever given their life to Christ. That's the only group. And you might be saying this. Right now, my heart is being filled with something I can't explain. I'm being drawn to God. Truth is, I feel pursued by Him. It doesn't feel like I'm chasing him anymore. And I am filled with the reality that, that Jesus is God's son. That he is exactly who he said he was. That he came to this earth, this planet, this planet and died on a cross, rose from the dead for me. Because for some reason, he loves me, and I'm sensing that love right now where I sit. And I know, I know, I need him, and I need to be right with him, 
and in a relationship with him more than I need anything else in the whole world. This is what happens when you get to this moment. You sense that. And so, I want to put my trust in him. As the very way, truth, and life itself. Because already, there is a longing in me to be what he wants me to be. That's what it feels like right before. You surrender your life to Christ and enter eternal life. It only takes two things ever for a human being to stumble or blunder right into eternal reality. You recognize your desperate need for it. And then you express your confidence that Jesus can lead you there because of what he's done. That's it. You don't have to do anything else but surrender. It's what I tell a groom, guy about to be married when he's standing next to me down here because he's panicking. And he can't remember anything we practiced the night before. And I say, just look at me. I'll guide you through this whole thing. You won't even have to think. That's exactly what it means to come to Christ. Don't you worry about what you have to do and what you have to say and what you have to figure out. You just see the need and put your confidence in Christ. He will take care of the rest. And you say, well, what's going to happen after that? I'm going to be really honest with you. No idea. I don't know what he's going to do with you. That's why you're trusting him and not me. Trust in him. Let him figure that out for you. Let the eternal journey begin and let him figure out how you're going to handle all this thing because that's the wonder. But he's got it. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to stand up. I just want everybody to stand. And then I want to do something we don't ever, ever do. But I just wonder, if I described you I want you to walk down here to me. If I described you, that's me, I want that. I'm not leaving here without it. And I just, I just want you to walk down here to me. I'll stand right here with you. Is there anyone in this room that says, that is totally me, I can't leave here without it. Is there anyone else in this room that would say, I don't have that eternal life you've been talking about for three months, but I'd like to have it. Okay, I want you to bow your heads, would you? Father, I lift these folks standing down here up to you right now. And I don't want to tell them what to say and I don't want to tell them what to pray, Lord. They, but I know right now they're trying to talk to you. They're trying to say something to you. They know they need you. They know what you have done for them. An out of this world kind of love. And I pray 
that your spirit would open their eyes and hearts even more now as they come to grasp what that is. And as they place their trust in you, even though they don't understand all the next steps and all the details, ultimately, Lord, it's trusting you. You said in your word, if we confess with our mouths that you're Lord and believe in our heart that Christ was raised from the dead, and as we learn today, longs to be in our lives. All the rest of it is taken care of. So, Father, I lift these souls, these folks right here up to you and pray that they would pray that prayer to you. And that you would do for them what you've done for hundreds of us in this room. It's come into our lives and change it at every single level. And we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, if it, if it took three months to get to this place, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Um, the hillside, you know, just a few weeks from now, maybe the most important Sunday of the year is about to happen here. And as you leave, I can tell you this, if, if, if God lives inside of you, if he lives inside of you, he's going to tap on your shoulder. He's going to tap you on the shoulder to invite somebody to Easter. And I pray that you'll have the courage and that you'll listen to the Spirit guide you in that reality. And to leave here thinking that all of those decisions, all of those Spirit promptings, that's eternal living now. Those are the things that matter the most. And my prayer for all of us as we sort of end this series and move on is that we can detect the difference between we detect, detect what's lasting and what isn't and that we know who we are and who we need to be for the day that he comes back I'm thankful to God for you guys we'll talk a little bit more here um, but uh, I look forward to seeing you next week Hillside thank you for your uh, for your prayers. It's beautiful out, so have a great day.